What is up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Sponsor Day Podcast, the podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 165 of the show. In this episode, I share my July, August, and September 2020 writing stats, a writing tip that I picked up along the way, and I tell you about the masterclass that I've been taking. I share a sponsored questionnaire response submitted by attorney and author Eileen Martinez. Shout out to Eileen, which is sponsored alum. And finally, I read and reflect on a free writing piece, which can be found at sponsored.com forward slash free writing. Before we get into the show, though, I want to tell you guys about a great way that you can help support this show by going to sponsored.com forward slash subscribe. And signing up to my completely free weekly newsletter. If you're interested in dope curated content delivered directly to your inbox every Monday at noon, absolutely for free with the option to unsubscribe at any time, and you're not a lame, then go to spuntray.com forward slash subscribe. Spuntray.com forward slash subscribe. Here's what you can expect to receive. You know that feeling you get on a Monday when the weekend already feels like a distant memory and the next one feels like it's weeks away? Have no fear, my friends. The Sponsoday newsletter is here. And it's here to make it so that your Mondays don't have to suck. Come on, guys. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink it. You have to do that part on your own by going to Sponsoday.com forward slash subscribe. I put together a free weekly newsletter that I send out to all of my subscribers every Monday at noon. Here's what's in it. A photo of the week so that you can take your mind off the mundane and enjoy the scenic route. A podcast of the week because I listen to dozens of podcasts every single week from a wide range of shows. And I cherry pick the very best ones and recommend them to you here. The Sponsoday newsletter also includes a video of the week, which will include anything from a TED talk to a rap battle to a tasty recipe that I stumbled upon or a dope interview, a quote of the week for some food for thought, and a word of the week for my fellow wordsmiths out there to step up your vocab. So you'll be getting five things absolutely for free every Monday at noon in your inbox. If you choose to subscribe, all you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. Writing stats. I should get a drum roll for when I'm sharing these figures. July. 2020. I wrote 16 out of the 31 days in July for a writing percentage of 51.6%. Not too bad. I'm betting over 500 there. And notice how I conveniently chose to use a baseball metaphor versus using like a basketball free throw percentage or a football quarterback pass completion rate, which at 50% would suck. Shout out to my fantasy football team, the Flying DeLoreans, by the way, which started off rough 0 and 2 
fell to last place, then won two straight in two very high-scoring weeks, which bumped me up to third place in my league. But I digress. Moving on to August writing stats. In August, I did even better, and I wrote 18 out of the 31 days of the month for a 58.1% writing percentage for the month of August 2020. Then, September rolled around, and all good things must come to an end. In September, I wrote 11 out of the 30 days of the month for an abysmal, yearly worst, I repeat, the worst monthly writing percentage for the entire year of 2020 was in September for a writing percentage rate of 36.7%. And there you have it, folks. Those are my writing stats for the past three months. Just my way of keeping myself honest by sharing that with you folks, motivating myself to do better and increase those percentages while also giving me a practical way to track the amount of input that I'm dedicating to my craft, to this writing game, if you will. This week's writing tip comes by way of a Spun Today favorite, Stephen Pressfield, and one of his and one of his Writing Wednesday posts on his website. As always, I will link to the post in the episode notes. The post itself is fairly small, so instead of just focusing on a particular section, I'm just going to read the whole thing. And as always, for your reference, I will link to this post in the episode notes of this show. And it's actually a component that I really like about these uh, Writing Wednesday posts of Stephen Pressfield is that they're so digestible. They're like tiny little micro gems that you read in a couple minutes and and then just internalize for the, the rest of the day. All right, so it's titled, First Drafts Are Killers. And he writes, quote, you could join the Foreign Legion. You could cross Antarctica on foot. Or you could write the first draft of a novel. Personally, I'd say the first two are easier. Why? Because in the first draft of fiction, of nonfiction, of a screenplay, we are facing the blank page. In other words, we're confronting resistance in its purest and most merciless form, day after day after day. People ask me sometimes, when is resistance strongest? The answer is easy, at the start. The invasion of Europe was hardest on D-Day. The civil rights movement was hardest at the first sit-in. First drafts are, in their way, even harder because even after we've established a beachhead with chapter one or act one, we still have the weight of the whole project before us, day after day after day. The professional arms herself for this ordeal. She steals herself in advance for this task, knowing it's going to test her like no other aspect of the enterprise. P.S. I write this post as I'm about to plunge in on a first draft. Full disclosure, I am scared shitless. And I want to also read one of the reader comments to this post because it sums up for me one of the reasons why this post resonates. And the reader says, quote, I love these writing Wednesdays. Makes it a little easier knowing I'm not alone in feeling the dreaded weight of starting. Thank you so much for posting these every week. And it's so true. Someone as accomplished in this writing game as Stephen Pressfield is in nonfiction, in fiction, with some great novels, 
that were later turned into movies like The Legend of Bagger Vance. The movie 300 was based on his novel Gates of Fire or Gates of Hell. Nonfiction writings like The War of Art, which I'm sure if you are a frequent listener of this podcast, you're probably sick of hearing me hear it. Of hearing me hear it? No. Of hearing me say it. (laughs) And a prolific screenwriter as well. Even him, after having decades dedicated to this craft, decades of being in this writing game, still faces some of the same doubts and fears associated with beginning a project, beginning a new writing project that I know I face, and I'm sure a lot of you listening do as well. And there's something, at least for me, like oddly comforting about that. Like the person that commented in that post, it it helps you remember or realize that you're not alone. And that those feelings of fear and uncertainty definitely shouldn't discourage you from continuing to push forward. In particular, I like the line where he says, the professional arms herself for this ordeal. She steals herself in advance for the task. Meaning that if you are going to approach writing or whatever artistic pursuit is that you may have, and not necessarily artistic either, it could be some sort of business endeavor. If you are going to approach it professionally with the aspirations, for example, of reaching and resonating with as many folks as possible and or having some form of commercial success at any level, then a way to be professional about it is to arm yourself for the task at hand and steal herself or yourself rather in advance for the task, meaning set aside time in advance, set up a schedule in advance where you are going to steal from your comfort, steal from other things that you want to be doing that may be more leisurely things like watching a movie or binge watching a TV show or going out with friends or family or what have you. You steal yourself away from all those things and carve out and allot that time to the blank page that is in front of you that you know you need to fill. That's definitely a dope concept. Once again, the title of the post is First Drafts Are Killers by Stephen Pressfield, and I will link to it in the episode notes. I have completed Aaron Sorkin's masterclass. And for those of you who may not know, Aaron Sorkin is my favorite writer of dialogue. Him and Quentin Tarantino is a close second, but Aaron Sorkin takes the cake for me. He's written movies like the Steve Jobs movie, Moneyball with Brad Pitt, based on the the book by uh, Michael Lewis, Molly's Game, which I reviewed on this show, The Social Network, which was the Facebook movie, The Newsroom, which was an amazing series on HBO that only ran three seasons, sadly, for me. Iconic movies like A Few Good Men with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise. The series The West Wing, which, honestly, I've never seen, or I never watched, rather. I've seen, like, a couple episodes here and there, but I never really watched that series. Ironically, because I'm such an Aaron Sorkin fan, and I like politics as well. So it seems like a like a win-win for me. Maybe I should visit it. Anyway, needless to say, it was a treat for me to be able to take his master class. So I want to share some notes with you guys that I took down while taking the class. 
And it was really interesting too about Aaron Sorkin because I, I hadn't really seen any like long form interviews with him or anything like that. So these master classes are a couple hours long in most cases. And even though they're edited and have very high production value, being such a long form format that they themselves, and by they, in this case, I mean Aaron Sorkin, put together a syllabus and course for and teach it the way they want to teach it, you get some insight into the person and how the person is. And it was kind of cool and refreshing to see that he is kind of nerdy and insecure-ish, while at the same time knowing that he's the shit, and while also being self-deprecating. It's interesting. And he had like a, like a good sense of humor. And that was pretty cool to see. All right. So now I'm going to read from some of the notes that I took down. The first one is the protagonist doesn't necessarily need to achieve or overcome the obstacle. They just need to try, which was good for me to hear because it reminded me of that, that the, the protagonist or the hero in our story doesn't necessarily need to win. They don't need to get what it is that they've been looking for. Sometimes losing and not making it in the way that you intended are satisfying lessons to be learned. So I definitely thought that was a good takeaway. Another one is the most important thing you're going to do is identify the intention, the obstacle, and conflict. Then you can hang anything off of it like a clothesline. So the way he described that was picture a clothesline And on one end, you have the intention of, let's say, your main character, for example. But it could obviously also be the intention of of another character in your story. But you have the intention of the main character. Then the obstacle that he or she is looking to overcome. And all of the conflicts that he or she are going to face before getting to the point of dealing with the obstacle. And he says with those kind of pillars in place on your clothesline of a story allow you to have a strong enough foundation to where you can now just fill in the empty spaces with the story that you weave between those pillars then this next one he says about writing your antagonist which is don't judge the anti-hero write him or her from a place of earnest from a position of them justifying their existence. They don't view themselves as anti-heroes or villains. And you have to write them from a place where you can believe them and their intentions. If not, you run the risk of a quote-unquote mustache-twirling hack villain. And it's true. Think about the backstory of any quote-unquote bad guy or villain in a book that you've read or a movie that you've seen. They're not just bad for the sake of being bad. They often have a view on the situation, albeit a a warped one, from the perspective of the hero, for example. But they often have a, a view or a perception that what they're doing is for the greater good. Like in X-Men, for example, I don't know why X-Men just popped into my head, but with the mutants that believe they should kill certain humans, it's not just for the sake of killing, it's so that mutants could be free and not persecuted by the humans. In Avengers, Thanos snaps his finger to kill instantly 50% of everyone on Earth, or in the universe, was it? Or just on Earth? Anyway, 50% of of the people, not because 
he just wanted more space or something. But because he was motivated by that being the best and logical thing to do for the sustainability of the universe. So that definitely made sense to me. The, you know, the best villains have a legit and deeper backstory than just I'm evil for the sake of being evil. Next is writing dialogue is like music. Be the composer of the dialogue. And with him just saying that, like instantly, instantly made it like click for me. And the way he described it too, where uh, he was saying that since he was young, like he always heard dialogue as like a rhythm, as like music. Like that just fit in so perfectly with what it is that draws me so much to his work. Because it definitely sounds like music to me also. The opening scene in The Social Network, for example, I always describe to people that have seen the movie or that haven't seen the movie as one of the best opening dialogue scenes of any movie. And it's just like this really interesting verbal chess that the Mark Zuckerberg character and his girlfriend at the time are having while they're on a date. And the cadence and the way it flows really does sound like music. It's crazy. Another takeaway was you can write clunky, stilted dialogue purposely to show or depict an awkward encounter. And I never considered that. I never considered writing and dialogue from the standpoint of what's not written, where you don't necessarily have to eloquently describe everything with flowery prose for the reader to get it by writing a clunky and stilted exchange between two people which is by definition going to be devoid of being a clearly thought out exchange the reader will pick that up as an awkward encounter that's like a whole other level right there a level of mastery that aaron sorkin is on all right let me jump off his nuts and get to the next point the next takeaway is try to write the end of each scene in a way that it launches you into the next scene set up the next scene that's definitely something i need to try to do more of and kind of not focusing on necessarily uh cliffhangers at the end of each chapter that you know help motivate the reader to start the the next chapter but to do that or a microcosm of that within each individual scene to keep the reader engaged and create an actual page turner the next takeaway is to grab a reader's attention with an opening scene you can opt to beginning in the middle of a conversation like sorkin did in the social network which i just referenced and he also this did this in the steve jobs movie and he went on to say that it makes people perk up and pay attention to try to find out what's going on because when a movie starts like that, it's kind of like the action is is going, you know, you're like in the middle of it already. You're like dropped in the middle of a scene and you as a viewer or a reader are listening or watching where part of you is, oh shit, did I miss something? Did it start? Is this how it's starting? So you're kind of effectively like behind the eight ball a little bit, but that in itself makes you pay that much more attention because your brain is trying to figure out what the hell is going on. So that's an interesting tactic and option and tool to use the next point touches on character development and he says when introducing a character do so by showing what they want not by describing who they are that's definitely a good takeaway you know a little uh show don't tell 
Next is get to the end of whatever it is that you're writing, then go back and rewrite. And that kind of plays into our writing tip from earlier in this episode, right? From Stephen Pressfield in the dread of that first draft and the importance of doing what you got to do to get to the end of it. And what this also made me think of is of a story within Malcolm Gladwell's Blink, if I'm not mistaken, where he speaks about, I believe, Michelangelo and his sculptures and the way the story goes, and I'm completely paraphrasing and could be fucking it up, but the crux of it and the point that I'm trying to tie tie into this idea of getting to the end of whatever it is that you're writing is that the sculptor used to say, or folks used to ask Michelangelo rather, you know, how it is that he did his work and created such beautiful sculptures. And his response was something along the lines of the sculptures already existing within the block of marble that he was carving. He was just getting all the other stuff that surrounded the sculpture out of the way. So I thought it was interesting to marry those two ideas and see the first draft of your work as that block of marble where you can now go back and chip away at all the extras with your second draft and third draft and final draft, etc. Oh, this takeaway was really cool. And he says, uh, find out what the real procedure is in certain situations because it, it'll give your your story a lot of credibility. So the way the masterclass was, or a portion of the masterclass, besides his like advice and teachings and, and breaking down of, of dialogue and, and tools and stuff, was him having a a mock writer's room with like five or six uh, writers, like young writers that were all obviously psyched this out to be there, but like the idea of it was to show what a writer's room is actually like and pitching ideas and, you know, breaking a story, etc. And each of them presented like a pilot story of theirs that they had written as well. And this feedback came out of, or this takeaway rather came out of a piece of feedback to one of those stories where somebody described a a scene where on an airplane somebody died in the bathroom of the airplane and then the pilot informs that there's a code blue on the plane. So his point here in finding out what the real procedure is in certain situations was to do a little bit of research in situations like this and find out if that is what the actual protocol is for an airline when and if somebody does die on the plane. Because it'll inherently add credibility to your story that your reader could pick up on. For example, does the stewardess inform the pilot? Does the pilot make an announcement on the loudspeaker? Is it called code blue or is it called code code red or something else? Is the protocol for the stewardess not to alert the pilot and to call the airline directly on some sort of bat phone or some shit or... Is the protocol for the stewardess and or the co-pilot to review a log of the folks that are on the plane for potential doctors on board, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So like a little research in an area like that wouldn't take long at all to try to find, but would add that layer of credibility and depth to your story as opposed to, you know, just making up something like the stewardess yells out code blue. Another takeaway here, I know I got a lot <laughs> during this uh, this masterclass, right? But hopefully you guys are enjoying it as much as I did. 
another takeaway is a quote from Aristotle's Poetics, which, according to Sorkin, is like the holy grail for writers. On that recommendation, I actually purchased the, the audiobook, but I haven't gotten around to listening to it yet. But this very confusing, you'll have to read it a few times, or at least I had to, to kind of sort of get it, quote is from Aristotle's Poetics. And it's, quote, a probable impossibility is preferable to a possible improbability, end quote. I'll say that one more time. Quote, a probable impossibility is preferable to a possible improbability, end quote. And he gives two examples of each to kind of add some some color to the to that quote. And he says, a probable impossibility is E.T. following a candy trail to someone's house. And he goes on to say that once we grant the impossibility that E.T.'s exist, it's perfectly plausible that one would follow a trail of candy to someone's house. So that's an example of a probable impossibility, which again is preferable to a possible improbability. And an example of a possible improbability is you turning on the radio at the exact moment that they're stating something that you need to hear. It's more possible than an ET, for example, but it's not plausible at all. And I thought that was very interesting. And I'll close off with these last handful of takeaways, which are take chances. That's how you find your voice. Don't try to make everyone happy. Watch a lot of movies, read a lot of movies, write a lot, and practice. And lastly, write in your own voice the way you want to write. And those are my takeaways of Aaron Sorkin's Masterclass. Next up, we have a Spun Today questionnaire response submitted by attorney and author Eileen Martinez. For those of you that may not know, Eileen is Spun Today alumni. She was the featured guest of episode 163. So definitely go ahead and check that episode out. We had a great conversation. And she was kind enough to share her responses for the Spun Today questionnaire, which if any of you writers or creatives listening would like to do so as well, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Eileen published a book titled Daring to Love while praying the rosary, her contact information, her social media, as well as ways to purchase her book can be found at eileenmartinez.org, all of which will be linked in the episode notes of this show. Now let's jump into the questionnaire. Question number one is, relating to your craft, do you remember the first thing you ever wrote or created? If so, what was it? And Eileen responded, At about eight years old, I wrote a quote-unquote book about my mom with photos and all. How adorable is that, right? Then she continues, when I was in middle school, I won an award from the Anti-Defamation League for a letter I wrote to a refusenik in the Soviet Union. How cool is that? I remember in junior high getting like a, a certificate for attendance or something like that. And I thought it was this shit. Imagine getting an award from the Anti-Defamation League for something that you wrote. And for those of you who may not know, 
what a refusenik is. Luckily for you, I also did not know, and I paused and Googled it. <laughs> a refusenik was an unofficial term for individuals, typically, but not exclusively, Soviet Jews who were denied permission to emigrate primarily to Israel by the authorities of the Soviet Union and other countries of the Eastern Bloc. And then Eileen wrapped up the first question by saying that when I was young, I always wrote letters to my aunts and uncles just to tell them how much I love them. And that's really sweet. I think we touched on that as well during episode 163 of the podcast. That made me think of, for some reason, writing thank you notes to folks. Like when you receive a birthday gift or a Christmas gift and the parents make the the kid write a, a thank you note to the person that gave them the gift. I don't know why exactly I just thought of that, but I'm making a mental note to force my kids to do that as soon as they're old enough to write. I'm sure they're going to they're going to love that. <laughs> Alrighty, question number 2. What inspires you to write or create? Eileen responded, "Love, music, ballet, beautiful scenery, and architecture. I like to write to make others smile." And that is probably one of the top reasons to write, right? To evoke emotion from folks. Love and music, scenery and architecture are definitely wells of of inspiration for me as well. Can't say I'm with you, Eileen, on the ballet thing. Pero, para los gustos se hicieron los colores, right? I wonder if she does or or did ballet. Or just draws information, uh, inspiration. I keep saying information for some reason. Or just draws inspiration from watching it. I'll have to ask her next time she's on the show. Question number three. What is a hobby that you have that is unrelated to your craft? And Eileen responded, I play the piano. I embroider. Embroidery connects me with my abuela. Embroidery was my grandmother's profession before she migrated to the United States. After she moved to the U.S., she would embroider little things like handkerchiefs and give them to people as gifts. I keep her legacy going and do the same. It's a really tender and genuine connection that Eileen had with her grandmother. And we spoke about their relationship in the episode that we recorded. And I think that it's an amazing thing the way that she chose to keep her legacy going by getting into the embroidery and following suit with giving folks gifts. I actually have a few pictures up on the website of a few of the uh, embroidery examples. If you folks want to check it out, go to spuntoday.com forward slash podcast forward slash 163. That's the landing page for that specific episode. Question number four, how do you get yourself to sit down and do your work when you're not motivated to? And Eileen responded, I swim. And when I cannot swim, I have to get the room in a mood. I buy flowers and set the stage for creativity. Sometimes when I cannot write, I jot down notes. And when I'm able, I keep a journal. Now, this is all great advice. And thank you for sharing, Eileen, because even if doing these exact same things to motivate yourself to write won't work for someone listening, doing their versions of may definitely work. Like, for example, if someone's not into swimming or does not have access to to a pool or a beach or something like that, 
their version of might be a bike ride or taking a jog or just exercising in general. Getting the room in a mood and setting the stage for creativity, like you said, is definitely something that makes a a huge difference for me. And it's something that folks like Stephen Pressfield and Stephen King harp on as well, which is approaching the task of writing with a sense of professionalism, you know, carving out specific times when it is that you're supposed to focus on writing and not making the mistake of, you know, going on Twitter for a couple minutes or checking your Instagram feed or going through emails, etc. Like if it's writing time, it's writing time. And whether that mood setting includes buying flowers or lighting a candle or putting some background music on or waiting till it's late at night or early in the morning when everybody else is sleeping and you have quiet whatever it is that you need to do to set the, to set the stage for creativity do it and last but not least question number five do you have any advice for other writers creators whether they're new seasoned or otherwise and eileen responded you can do all things when you write from the heart do all things in a spirit of excellence and that is also great advice that first part of writing from the heart i would connect to aaron's aaron sorkin's advice that we were speaking about earlier where he says to write in to find and to write in your own voice and the second piece of doing all things in the spirit of excellence is not only great advice when it comes to applying that mentality to your craft but also life advice in general having a dignity about and an integrity about what it is that you're doing. I think that definitely shines through. Eileen, thank you once again for taking the time to fill out the Spun Today questionnaire. Folks listening, if you'd like to submit your responses so I can read them on a future episode of the podcast, please do by going to spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And once again, you can check out Eileen Martinez's website at eileenmartinez.com dot org which i will link to in the episode notes the free writing piece that i want to share with you all today is kind of a reflective free writing and what i mean by that is that sometimes instead of just completely free writing you know putting pen to paper and writing down anything and everything that comes to mind i will read or hear or see a quote that resonates with me to the point that I want to free write to that quote. So it's kind of like a contained free writing, if you will. And that's what I have to share with you guys today. The quote is from a Rap Radar podcast, episode 39 to be exact, where Elliot and B-Dot sit down and chop it up with the one and only Will Smith. And for the record, I wrote this way before all the entanglement stuff happened. Not that that has anything to do with anything. (laughs) Just thought I'd put it out there. Alrighty, so the quote is, quote, People think love is red. It's not. It's blue. It's like water. It's not like fire. End quote. And so this I wrote, Will mentioned this as something Jada told him that resonated with him. And it stood out to me. Red and fire symbolize heat, a burning desire. In relation to love, it's an unquenchable need 
to be with your better half, a devotion and kinship to your family and closest friends. Love, in my perspective, is all of those things, but it goes beyond. It incorporates more. Blue and water symbolize peace, tranquility, soothing, freshness, the ability to quench the thirst for love by realizing that it's something fluid. It goes everywhere and anywhere. True love, like water, sticks around through the ups and downs. It carries and harbors the fire and devotion. It facilitates the routes that they, the fire and devotion, navigate through. And I wrote that on Monday, June 17th, 2019, at 4.26 p.m. And the post I forgot to mention, if folks want to check it out, is titled, Is Love Red or Blue? And I posted it onto the website on October 6th, 2020. And I'll also link to it directly in the episode notes of this episode. First off, I wonder why Jada was telling Will that love is blue and all fluid and all entanglement-like. Mm-hmm. I see you, Jada. <laughs> Let me stop. It is a dope quote, though, and an interesting concept in and of itself, both of identifying a concept and feeling like love by tying it to a color and an element, red and blue, fire, water, yin and yang. And I say yin and yang to say that that's kind of how I saw this, not as either or, but as both. And I think I drove that point home. Well, I hope I did. Even though I probably didn't, you guys are probably going to hit me up and tell me that you didn't get that at all. (laughs) But I think, or at least I attempted to drive that point home by, by lines like red and fire symbolize heat and burning and, and the unquenchable need to be with your better half. And on the flip side of that, lines like waters symbolizing water and blue symbolizing peace and tranquility and sticking through the ups and downs. That's kind of like the two sides to the same concept, if you will. And I like what I was attempting to say with the the final couple lines, which are, it carries and harbors the fire and devotion. It facilitates the routes that they, the fire and devotion, navigate through. So I like what I was going for there, but I don't like how I executed it. It's a little like clunky. And I don't think really or clearly articulate what I was trying to say, which is that like that fire and that red and that passion exist. And it's working in conjunction with the blue and the water and the peace where the blue and the water and the peace are kind of laying the the groundwork and the framework that the red and the fire need to exist in order for it to navigate. So it's kind of like you can't have one without the other, like they're codependent. And that's all I got for you fine folks. The post once again is called, Is Love Red or Blue? And you can find it linked to in the episode notes or by navigating to spuntoday.com forward slash freewriting forward slash is love red or blue. And that's the episode, folks. I am going to leave you with a spuntoday Easter egg of sorts. 
and let you know that I'm pre-recording this episode. It's actually half past midnight now on October 7th, 2020, while I'm recording this. And I'm doing so because on October 15th, 2020, when this episode is scheduled to be released, I'll be in the hospital with my wife who is scheduled to be induced with our new baby boy. So as this episode drops and you're listening to it right now, this very moment, my new son could be being born. Wish us luck and I'll be looking forward to telling you all how that goes in a future episode. In the meantime, vibe out with me for a bit, listen to some tunes, and then check out a few more ways that you can help support the Sponsor Day podcast. Like the pine trees lining the winding road, I've got a name, I've got a name. Like the singing bird and the croaking toad, I've got a name, I've got a name. And I carry it with me like my daddy did, but I'm living the dream that he kept here. Moving me down the highway, rolling me down the highway. Moving ahead so life won't pass me by Like a north wind whistling down the sky I've got a song I've got a song Like a whirlpool will and the babies cry I've got a song I've got a song and I carry it with me and I sing it loud If it gets me nowhere, I go there proud Moving me down the highway, rolling me down the highway Moving the hills and life won't testify Hey folks, Tony here, and I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy putting it together for you. If you'd like to support, I'd really appreciate it. And we'll give you a one-stop shop of sorts on how to do so. If you can make your way over to spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a bunch of different ways where you can do just that. There you'll find an Amazon banner similar to the other banners found throughout my website that you can click on and will take you to Amazon where you can do your shopping like you normally do. This will not cost you anything extra and Amazon will pay me a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. It's a great way to help support the show financially without actually having to come out of pocket. At sponsorday.com forward slash support, you'll also find links to my Patreon and Kofi pages. Patreon and Kofi are two similar websites where you can set up reoccurring donations for the show. If you want to donate a dollar per month, a dollar per episode, a hundred dollars per episode, whatever you like, you can check out either one of those two services there. There's actually also a Patreon video that's kind of like a little tutorial explanation video of how Patreon actually works. Also at spuntoday.com forward slash support, you'll find a direct donation button 
where you, you can donate by way of PayPal. You'll find a link to Apple Music, which works similar to the Amazon banner. You can click on it. It'll take you to Apple's website where you can do your purchasing like you normally do. And again, it does not cost you anything extra, but I will get paid a percentage just for driving traffic to their website. And you'll also find links to the Spun Today viral style store. This is where you can get Spun Today related merch. And you'll find things like these cool premium t-shirts that have uh, writing related things on them that I put together myself. I'm definitely not a clothing designer by any stretch of the imagination, but I put together things that I wanted to see in and uh, wear myself. A couple of my favorites are the one that says writing is life and another one that says write need every day and it has like a puff of smoke looking design right behind uh, those words. You'll also find a sponsored a coffee mug and a really cool color changing mug that's related to my debut novel Fractal. It's completely black and when it gets hot when you put it in coffee or tea it starts changing to white and it also exposes the cover art for my novel fractal it's pretty dope so definitely check all that stuff out which again you can find by going to sponsor.com forward slash support and of course do not forget to follow me on all of your social media at sponsor on twitter at sponsor on instagram subscribe to the sponsor youtube channel where you can find clips and excerpts from the podcast along with other cool content like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash spun today. Also, don't forget to check out all the free shit that I have on my website as well. Go to spun forward slash free writing. And there you're going to find dozens and dozens and dozens of free writing pieces that you can check out for motivation and inspiration and just some general food for thought. You can check out some of my photography at spuntoday.com forward slash photography. Feel free to take any of those pictures and use them as you wish. I set it up so that you can like copy and download the photos. And my short stories are available at spuntoday.com forward slash short stories. And last but certainly not least, my pride and joy corner spuntoday.com forward slash books here you will find my published books which you find folks can find links to purchase them on amazon whether you want hard copies or digital uh, kindle copies that's the spot for you thank you very much for being a spun today listener and as always substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.